0: Before I start this illustration, I just want to give credit to, to John Piper, who kind of gave me the idea uh, for using it within this context. Other people have used it, I think, in the past, but I just wanted to uh, give him credit for that. And when I when I read it, I just really thought that it just really hits exactly uh, where Jesus is going with this and, and how we can apply this to our lives. But uh, I'm sure you heard of the the phrase, the canary in the coal mine. So canaries in the 19th century were used as exceptional risk predictors in mines. This was because they were particularly sensitive to carbon monoxide, which was a substance which led to numerous mining accidents in, in the aftermath of the industrialization period. Carbon monoxide is a particularly deadly gas as it is not only odorless and colorless, but also lighter than air and highly flammable. It can also quickly build up in the body, which made it essential to find ways to swiftly detect the presence of it in the air in the mines. It was soon discovered that the little bird, the canary, would immediately show signs of distress in the presence of carbon monoxide and expire well before humans would begin to feel the effects of the poisoning. Thus, they came to play a crucial role in detecting these toxic gases and managing hazards in the mine. Actually, the miners, they grew quite fond of the relationship that they had with the canaries. Some have actually written poems about them. And they were sad when they died because not only did they help them in that area, but they would, their bright colors and their lovely song uh, would encourage them and bring them joy in such a dark and dreary place. The canary's role became so ingrained in the English language that a canary in the coal mine is a now well-known phrase used to refer to early indicators of potential hazards We have a a canary in the coal mine uh, within our Christian spiritual health, and that is joy. Joy is a very good indicator for us as to our spiritual health and our relationship with our Lord. And just like the disciples... You and I are sent into this dark and dreary coal mine. We have a job to do. And what can happen is that we can be overcome with the toxic gases of sorrow, suffering, and grief. And being overexposed to those can be very, very dangerous. And the loss of joy for a prolonged period of time is an indicator that something is not right, that something needs to be addressed in our lives. Maybe you've come here today and maybe you've thought about this this past week. I know that I have. Am I really, truly joyful? Am I finding my joy in the Lord or am I finding my joy in my circumstances, in my environment, in the things that I have. Joy is mentioned multiple times throughout this discourse, peace and joy. And we can see that it has Jesus has a priority of joy in our lives. And here it is mentioned with something else, and that is prayer. And I don't usually associate joy and prayer together, but here they are uniquely linked together. As a matter of fact, maybe when you think about prayer, you are kind of like me, and, and you, it's more foreboding, it's more intimidating, and you don't really associate it with joy. But here, Jesus makes the connection between the two, and we're going to discover the importance of that connection, because during this period of time, you and I are going to suffer, We're going to have a lot of grief, we're going to have a lot of sorrow, it's going to get very, very depressing, and all of that can just rob us of our joy. That joy can wax and wane and needs to be maintained. And even though Jesus is going and ascending to the Father and the relationship with the disciples is about to change, that means a change in the relationship with someone else as well. It opens up the door to access to the Father, which then opens up the door to joy. So, how's your song? How's your joy this morning? Well, I hope this passage helps. We're going to look at three, key, three keys, kind of stages of how that builds up to this uh, one main point that I think Jesus is trying to convey here. Um, and the first stage or the first key to that is... That you and I cannot question Jesus personally, verse 23a. So Jesus starts out and he says, in that day, you will not question me about anything. It's kind of pretty straightforward, isn't it? So we just talked about the fact that, that Jesus is leaving. And because Jesus is leaving, this is going to change the relationship with the disciples, and throughout this period of time, do you think the disciples asked Jesus a lot of questions? Absolutely. How many people here have questions for Jesus? Keeping a, keeping a running list of questions for Jesus. Well, it kind of makes me think of little kids, right? Kids have some of the greatest questions and some of the strangest questions of all time. Um, and I know working with kids over uh, over the years, uh, they have asked some some really interesting questions and ones that that I didn't have answers to, or I don't know if anyone really did have answers to. Here's a list of questions that some kids have asked their parents. Um, one, one girl wanted to know, why do we have two arms instead of three? So this just kind of a random question, but I think, can you imagine if I had three arms? I could flick the thing and then do multiple hand signs back and forth. Uh, one question that was asked was actually about the TV show, The Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. Uh, The child wanted to know if that was done in the early 1900s. So that actually, and then turned the parent to look into retirement homes afterwards. Uh, One girl asked when she turns four, what happens to her three? So does it go away? Does it change? One child who asked in a very loud or uh, uh, outgoing tone in the grocery store to the father said, Daddy, are these all those stupid people? I don't know if the father answered that or not. And then uh, another, another child wanted to go uh, to a famous monument and said, could you take me to the Vampire State Building? I think that would have been a, a scary, scary trip. Why, why, do par- why do kids like to ask questions to parents? Ever think about that? Now, it's definitely about the question. They, they definitely want to learn things, don't they? But, don't, but isn't it because they trust the parents? Yeah. Do you have a person in your life that you can go to and you know that they are going to give you the answers they need? Or, or just by going to them and asking the question, that just encourages you and reassures you? I think we all have people in our lives like that. I hope we do. I think that's very, very important. Well, Jesus was that to the disciples. Can you imagine... We only have a list of some of the questions that they asked, but can you imagine the questions that, that they didn't write down that, you know, God's like, we're not, we're not going to throw that one in scripture because that's just going to lead to probably more questions. But they had this, this wonderful relationship where they can have a conversation with Jesus Christ and they can ask him questions. So there's, there's two different types of asking that comes out in this passage. And and I think the NASB gets it right when it says, you will no longer question me. So this is not a a request. These are questions and answers. And I think Jesus is mainly thinking of during this period of time in the upper room discourse, and they're going back and forth, and they're asking all of these questions. And Jesus now makes a point to say there's coming a time pretty soon in that day. What, What day is he talking about? Well, he can't be talking about the resurrection particularly because we know that after the resurrection, they they did what? They asked him questions. Matter of fact, Peter asked Jesus one of the questions uh, on the beach and he says, what about this guy? Or asking all these different questions. So Jesus is talking about a time period when he is no longer going to be there and this relationship is going to change. And that is going to be very, very difficult for the disciples. They're not going to have... This opportunity to talk to Jesus and for them to ask questions or for him to give an answer. Or sometimes actually he would just ask a question with the question, right? And then lead into further discussion. I have questions for Jesus. I think we all do. And, And Jesus isn't saying here that we cannot ask those questions. But I think what he is saying and the same relationship that's going to happen for the disciples happens for us. Is that I cannot just sit here and be like, "Hey Jesus, can you tell me a little bit about X, Y, and Z?" And Jesus can be like, "Yeah, Mark, sit down, have a cup of coffee, and we're just going to go through this together and make sure you get it all together, and afterwards you're going to be okay." As much as we want that, and if that's happening to you, we're going to have to have a little chat afterwards. So you can come to see me, and we'll talk about the you know, the voice of God, maybe, or something like that. But, but. There are some real questions that we have for Jesus that we want to ask, but we cannot ask, and that's because why? He's not here. This is this whole change in this period a little while where we want to see him. I want to talk to him. I have all these questions. I just can't. I can ask him, but he's not going to come back in an audible voice and have this conversation with me. And those questions that we have are a lot more serious, aren't they? We may have some trivial questions, and I have some that I think I want to ask the Lord when I get to heaven, but I think a lot of those are going to disappear when I see him. But then there's some questions that, you know, we might want to know more about. People were asked us, what questions would they ask Jesus if they had the opportunity? And uh, one individual said they'd want to know why their, their brother at the age of 16 was killed in a car accident, and it changed his parents' life. They still hung on to their faith, but they were never the same again. That's a, that's a pretty important question. Someone wants to know, why do some people seem to suffer more in their life? That's a question that we might want to ask Jesus. Johnny Erickson Tata said the only question she wants to ask is to ask Jesus if he'll dance with her. And we can see why that is. Lots and lots of questions. So it's kind of tough. It's kind of sad. It's kind of hard. But what looks like a closed door to the disciples actually opens up the door to something that much greater. Jesus is providing for them. And it's the fact that he is going away that now opens the door to one of the greatest relationships that we can ever, ever imagine, and that is the relationship with God Almighty in heaven and the access that you and I have to go before his throne and ask him for anything. And that's the second key. So we cannot ask Jesus personally, but guess what? You and I can go to the Father and ask him directly. Verse 23b, so he says, truly, truly, so I'm not going to be here I'm going to go, but because I'm going, because I suffered, died, buried, rose again, and ascended to the Father, this now opens up the door. It literally opens up the door to heaven. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Can you imagine if you had a direct line to the President of the United States? So, access to... Mr. President, the most powerful leader in the world, is granted only to a few who have successfully passed through a series of detailed, cautious checkpoints. And there was a Norway teen who created quite a stir when he actually challenged that system. Boldly dialing a secret phone number for the White House... 16-year-old Vifal Atlasson claims that he called President George W. Bush out of curiosity and wanting to ask him to have a chat and to see if he wanted to visit Iceland. In order to get through security, Atlasson actually had to pretend to be someone. You know who he had to pretend to be? Alufar Ragnar Grimson, who is the president of Iceland, he was surprised when his initial call didn't pass through the switchboard, but went directly to a higher office to be screened by a variety of security officials. Atlasson was asked a series of personal questions in an attempt to verify his identification as the president of Iceland, including Grimson's date of birth, his hometown, and even the name names of his parents. He said it was like passing through a series of checkpoints, and eventually the checkpoints proved to be one too many. The teen never actually made it through to the president and was later taken from his home for questioning by local police, and no charges were then filed. I, I really wish I had that number as a child. I would have multiple times try to attempt to call the President of the United States. So kids, don't attempt that at home or else, you know, you too. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be getting questions, not having questions. So. But um, can you imagine, what would you, what would you do if you had a direct line to the President of the United States? Now, let's not call out what we would call and say or anything like that. If we, if we could ask him and go to the President of the United States... If, if the President of the United States gave us an, this unlisted number and said, here you go, I'm going to hand this to you, just give me a call. Just give me a call, whatever you want, anytime, come on in, give me a call. How many people would take advantage of that? I'd be on that all the time. Yeah, all the time. You know, no one, okay, can I have your advantages then? Because I'll take that and I'll ask him for, for absolutely anything. And, but here's the, here's the thing. Jesus Christ has given us that access, not to the President of the United States, but to the most powerful being in the entire universe, God Almighty. Open door. You and I have a direct line of communication to the creator of heaven and earth. Are we taking advantage of that? And if not, why? And I think, I think many, many times that we, we approach God in prayer like checkpoints. And we think that we have to check off all these little boxes. And we come to him thinking that, you know, the more I do, the more I go to church, the more I read my Bible, the more good deeds that I do, the more he's going to what? He's going to give me stuff because that's how God works, Right? Checkpoints. The less I sin, you know, the, the better I sound. Whatever it may be, we may have all these checkpoints, but guess what? We don't approach him on our merit at all. Whose merit do we approach him on? Jesus Christ. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension in heaven is the only access that we need is the only merit that we need and he opens up the door for us that's the first part that we see here when jesus says if you come to him in my name that's the only name we need we don't need to pretend to be anyone else and because Jesus ascends into heaven gives us the holy spirit you and i can boldly approach the throne of grace for help i want you to notice something here when jesus so jesus starts out this with what truly truly listen guys What I'm about to tell you is real important. I'm not going to be here for you to ask direct questions, but truly, truly, I'm telling you the truth that you have an open door to God in heaven for all of your needs and all of your requests within boundaries, right within the character and will of his name. But notice, when was the last time Jesus said, truly, truly? Just a few verses earlier, wasn't it? What does he say? Truly, truly, you are going to what? Weep. Truly, truly, you are going to suffer. Truly, truly, you are going to grieve. Truly, truly, you are going to have pain. But truly, truly, I have an answer for you. Truly, truly, during that period of time, you can take all of that pain, you can take all of that suffering, you can take all of that grieving to the Father because he cares for you. We have to make that connection. So yes, we're going to go through all of this stuff. And we're going to have all of these needs, but He provides for us. You and I, I have direct access to God Almighty. and I think we forget it. I know I, know I forget it. And we see a few things about how we can approach, how we approach God here. And number one, it goes back to uh, throughout what we see in John, that the only way to God the Father in heaven is through Jesus Christ, His Son, who suffered and died and rose again on our behalf. That's the only way. If, you, if you're sitting in here today and you want a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth, the only way that you can do that is to go through Jesus Christ. There's no other way, but Jesus Christ opens up the heavens for us. And you and I can boldly go before his throne in our time of need. Now, in the name of Jesus also means within his will and character. We're not asking Jesus for Corvettes. I mean, you can ask Jesus for a Corvette. Maybe it's for a Corvette ministry, and then maybe he'll provide a Corvette for you. But we're not asking for Jesus for things like that. I mean, we're not asking God the Father for things like that. And just because we tag on Jesus' name, it's not name it and claim it. That's not what he's talking about here. Uh, The more that we're in this relationship with him, the more that we fellowship with him, we're going to be thinking like him. And his desires are going to become our desires. And his will is, is what we're going to want in our lives. And his character is what we're going to want in our lives. And those are the things that we begin to ask him for. So, in his name, this doesn't mean we tag on Jesus' name to the end of our prayers and think that it's some sort of lucky token or a charm or something to, to think that we're getting blessed. That's not what he's talking about. And it's in the context of Jesus leaving them on earth to do what? Mission. In his name, in his mission, right? In his will, in his character. So we should be praying along those lines. But we do see that we can come confidently, right? Isn't this where the author of Hebrews goes? And it's exactly in this passage of Hebrews, but right before this, in this right before this verse, the author of Hebrews says something. He says, we, don't ha- we, don't, we do not, not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our what? Weaknesses. But one who has suffered and, and been tempted in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. And he has what? Passed through the heavens. Therefore, since we have such a high priest who has gone before us, boldly go before the throne of God. Boldly go. Rush the doors. It's not based on our merit. It's based on His. But that's the access that you and I have. Are we taking advantage of it? I'm not. I'm not. And we can go, not only confidently and boldly, but expectantly. That's where I'm the worst. I'm always wondering about my, I, I just don't have a lot of faith when it comes to prayer sometimes. And I'm, you wonder, is God going to answer that or anything? you know? And you, you, you kind of beat yourself up a lot about that. But He wants us to come in all of these ways, expecting that we are going to receive from Him. We need to be constantly, confidently asking for help and expecting that He is going to provide it for us in the areas of His will, His character, according to His purposes. How many times, how many times does Jesus exhort us to pray in the Gospels? Multiple. Not only does He exhort us to pray, but He is an example of how to pray. He tells us how to pray, teaches us how to pray. He wants you and I to pray, which brings us really to the biggest, what does that mean? You might not. If there's an if, there means there might be a, you know, a possibility that this may not happen. So where does it fall? It falls on us. If you pray, if you ask, the door's open. You and I need to do what? We need to walk through it. Because none of that is going to happen if we're not praying. And I know I talk about it uh, so, so much, but we talk about it a lot because why? Because Jesus talks about it a lot. Praying for the Christian is as necessary as air is for the body. Without it, you and I are going to suffocate. And what we see here is that this relationship that we have with God in prayer is a direct relationship has a direct impact on our joy. Maybe we don't have because we're not asking, and maybe we're not asking with the right motivations, or maybe we're asking for our own comforts, our own material needs, and maybe we're not really in line with His character and will. Or maybe we would rather stare at a screen and play Candy Crush than approach the creator of heaven and earth and ask him for help. In the early 1990s, a guy tells a story uh, about writing a novel in the millennial, Millennium series. He said he went to uh, Israel with a guy named Robert Wise to work on this series. He said, near the end of their stay, he attended the service of a messianic uh, congregation in Jerusalem. He says its members were Jews who had accepted Jesus as their Messiah. Using earphones to hear a translation in English, he says, I was worshiping in the synagogue at the moment the rabbi explained the congregation's current needs rabbi said, we have many believers in Jesus, the rabbi explained, but he said, but we need counselors. He said, today, let's pray for counselors. He said, let's pray that God will send us a psychiatrist who can teach us about helping people with psychological problems. The group then began to pray, and the guy couldn't believe his ears you know why? It's exactly what he was. He was a psychiatrist. After they concluded the service, he went to the rabbi and told him, I'm a psychiatrist, and I'd like to help. The rabbi was obviously startled and shocked, and he then accepted the offer, and the guy returned to train Lay counselors from all over Israel, helping the national Messianic community expand its ministry. Let me ask you something. What do we need right now in this church? Are we asking him for it? Do you notice how specific he was? They need psychiatrists. What do you and I need in our mission here at Galilee Baptist Church to expand God's kingdom, let's ask him for it. That is the only way it is going to happen if you ask. The door is wide open. And the more you and I pray, the more you and I grow in this relationship with him, the greater our joy is going to be because our asking is, impacts our joy purposefully. Verse 24, Jesus says, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Why? What's the purpose? So that your joy may be made full. Jesus starts out this verse by recognizing, he's talking about their relationship. So up until this point, they they would ask Jesus for things or they would ask him questions and they would go to the Father and pray to the Father. But now it's all changed. Now the relationship is Jesus opens the door to the Father. We approach the Father in the name of Jesus. And the asking here is actually in the imperative. So what he's saying, do you want your joy to be full? Do you want your joy to be full? Yes. Let's try again. All right. (laughs) I'm going to prep you. I'm going to ask a question. It's going to say, "Do you want your joy to be full?" Your response should be pretty. I don't know, elated, maybe. Let's try again. Do you want your joy to be full? Yes. Yes. Okay. Then, how do we do it? There you go. All right. We're. Whoo. What time is it? All right. We got plenty of time left. I think people are still recovering daylight savings time. Thankfully, it's the last year. So that's what he's saying. It's a purpose. What's the purpose? Your joy is full. Why? Because the fumes of this world can suck that life right out of us, can it? So we, he gives us the maintenance of our joy, and the maintenance of our joy is through this prayer relationship that we have with God the Father. In her book, I'm going to lose my joy. I'm going to lose my breath here in a second. In her book, or in, in a, I think it's a magazine, Decision, Johnny Erickson taught her writes this. She says, honesty is is always the best policy, but when you're surrounded by a crowd of women in a restroom during a break at a Christian women's conference, it's even more important. She says, "One, one woman putting on her lipstick. They're all in this restroom. Woman's putting on her lipstick. There's Johnny. Looks at Johnny and says, Johnny, you always look so, so happy, so together in your wheelchair. I wish I had your joy. Several women around her nodded. How do you do it? The woman asked as she capped on her lipstick. Johnny says this, I don't do it. She said, in fact, let me tell you honestly how I woke up this morning. She said, This is an average day. After my husband Ken leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. Completely alone. Able to do not much at all. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to make while I listen to her make coffee, I pray. Oh, Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my chair, brush my hair, brush my teeth, and send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into the day. But, You do, Lord. May I have yours? God, I need you desperately. woman asked, what happens when your friend comes through the bedroom door? She said, I turn my head. I turn my head toward her, and I give her a smile sent straight from heaven. It's not mine, it's God's. And also... She says, gesturing to her paralyzed legs, whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. I've learned that the weaker we are, the more we need to lean on God. And the more we lean on God, the stronger we discover him to be. There there is so much that comes out of that illustration. And I think we we need to look at uh, just a few key, key points here. So this is in the context. Johnny is doing what? She's suffering. She has a lot of sorrow, a lot of pain, a lot of grief. And she is cast upon God on a minute-by-minute basis. Struggling. Struggling to maintain joy. Struggling to figure out what's going on. And this is during this period of time when Jesus says, you will what? You will weep, you will suffer, you will grieve. He's creating, he's he's, he's letting us know that we need to be utterly dependent upon God for everything, even our smiles. But there's this contrast that's going on in that restroom, isn't there? What is it? You have a woman putting on lipstick. How is she doing it? By herself. She's not dependent on anyone. She's doing herself all up. She's able to walk around freely. And you have Johnny Erickson Tata sitting in a wheelchair who's able to do none of that. But this woman who has everything is lacking something and sees it in Johnny. What is it? Joy. Why? Because Johnny knows the one who is all joy and goes to him on a regular basis. That blows my mind. All of them see it in her. Where do you get it? Well, I'll tell you what. It's not easy. It's hard one. And I think I, I think that. Y- What Jesus wants us to see and what you and I need to see is that we are utterly dependent upon God and we need to be going to Him on a regular basis. And it's only in that relationship that our joy is going to be made full. Nothing else is going to accomplish it. And I think that's part of the problem is that we just, we sometimes try to find joy in everything else besides God. Why? Why, is, why, are, why are we joyful when we come to him? Because he's the only one in this world who is all joy, pure joy. Johnny gets that. But we try to find joy in everything else, don't we? We try to find joy in changing our circumstances. I know I do. Johnny can't change her circumstances. She wish she could. Trying to find joy in relationships, maybe in our careers, maybe in our hobbies, maybe in our sinful desires, and all that's going to do is leave us more and more joyless. One author states, we look for joy in something out there. If we can find the right church, right? That's going to make me happy. If We find the right pastor, someone who knows how to say water properly. We can find the right volunteer in the right ministry. That's going to make me happy. If we can marry the right person, right? Wow, isn't that a... Don't ever think that. I married the right person, by the way. I'm just going to throw that out there so It just doesn't, it's rare, but it can happen. And I'm I'm joyful because of it. But I think that's, we know what he's saying. This this perfect idea that we have in life. And, And what happens is we're seeking it in everything else except for God. He's the only one who can actually give us joy in circumstances that are not very joyful. And Jesus is telling us that. So that your joy may be what? Made full. What does that mean? It can be taken away. Why? Toxic gases of this world can suck it right out of us. And I think the search for joy in all the wrong places does it too. There's a couple things that I think happens in in this prayer relationship that we have that helps our joy. Uh, One of them is God is all joy. He's a perfect, joyous being, the only perfect, joyous being in existence. Complete joy, utter joy is found only in him. More time you and I spend with him, guess what? That's going to rub off. We get his smile. It's just like his love. We cannot love the way that God loves us. We love with his love that he shares with us. But we're reminded of that relationship the more that we go to him. As a matter of fact, Jesus is going to pick up on this. And he talks about the Father loving us. And we realize that he loves us the more we're going to him and the more we're seeing answers to our prayers. And not only that, we're reminded of what? The truth. A truth that you and I need to hear all the time. Hey, you're going to suffer. Hey, you're going to grieve. Hey, you're going to weep. Hey, you're going to be in pain, but guess what? I've overcome this world. Guess what? There's coming a day where you're going to see me face to face. And guess what? I've given you access to God the Father to help you in all of the needs during this period of time. Remind ourselves of that truth. That's what happens in prayer. It's an exercise for us. It's a relationship for us. And as we see prayer answered, we... We're reassured of what? Our salvation and what Jesus is saying here. Oh, Jesus, you're right. I came, I I asked, and I received. It just confirms the truth in our hearts. And not only that, we are encouraged in the purpose that he has for our lives. This is in the context of leaving the disciples to carry out a mission. That you and I get to partake with God Almighty in expanding his kingdom here on earth. And we go to him and we ask him for what we need during that time. And he gives it to us and encourages us in our purpose. And all of it, of course, as we do what? Receive answers. And as we change in our desires, we begin to see this cycle happening, where we delight ourselves in him, we delight ourselves in his presence, and he gives us the desires as our desires are changed according to his character and his will. One big happy cycle. And even though we could be down in the deepest pits in our lives, we can still be joyful. Christians should be the most joyful people on earth. And if we're joyless, that's an indicator that something may not be right. doesn't mean we're not going to go through periods of that. But if it's continuous, and if we're more known for our lack of joy than for our joy, we might want to look into this a little bit more. How many people were a little worried about the canary? I felt bad. That's terrible, right? The canary. To see a bird, like, and then you knew you could die. So then you really got out and you're carrying this this canary. Well, guess what? There was an answer to that. This is called the canary resuscitator. (laughs) I know. It just warms the heart. I know. It warms the heart. So a guy created this because... The miners got, this was sad, right? I mean, bird singing, happy, joyful. I mean, talk about a bad fairy tale, right? This little bird chirp just kind of dies right there. And so this was the canary resuscitator. So when the canary uh, actually started to show signs of being uh, overcome by these gases, this machine was used. Guess what? The door was opened. Little bird was then taken out of its little cage, placed inside. The door was closed. Oxygen was turned on, started singing once again. I think that is a beautiful illustration for what we see here. Prayer to the Father resuscitates joy in our lives. Jesus Christ has opened the door. Open the door. All we need to do is walk on in. And though we may find ourselves succumbing to all of those fumes, that time with him is going to make us sing once again. Father, thank you for the relationship that we have with you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is only on his merit on his work that we can I can pray to you right now. And Lord, we ask. We ask boldly that you would meet our needs here in this church as a community of believers and as individuals that you would hear our prayers and that in doing so our joy may be made full and that we would proclaim that joy in a world that desperately needs it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.